You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We are thankful that you are here with us this morning. And uh, if you've got kids that are a part of the kids class, that's ages four to fourth grade, they can be dismissed to the back with uh, Miss Angela, if you would like to take advantage of that. They're welcome to sit with you in the service as well, if you would prefer that as well. This morning we continue um, our discussion and emphasis on the future of Sovereign Hope, where we want to be uh, heading over the next five years and how we get there um, over the next five years. And uh, transitioning this morning into um, how we start to really uh, unify ourselves through the avenue of prayer as we pray for uh, God to accomplish these things in us individually, in us as a group, realizing that without Without God doing this through us, our efforts will be for naught, that we will not be able to accomplish these great tasks that we've set before us. So just as a reminder for those that maybe haven't been with us or haven't been with us over the past couple of weeks uh, consistently, we've set five goals for our church that we want to uh, see the Holy Spirit accomplish through us in the next five years. And so just to rehash those real quickly, one, we want our church attendance to be at 150 and that's different for uh, from what maybe other churches would say. A lot of churches would, would say this is what we would like to be running for different reasons. Our reasons are because we want to send those people out. So we're shooting for 150 not to grow our church big, not to uh, start a capital uh, campaign for building a building. Our intent is to have 150 so that we can plant other churches, plant other churches locally, plant other churches overseas. So our intent in growing number-wise is not to increase our reputation in the community. It's not to get bigger, not to, um, to purchase buildings and that type of thing. It's with the intent of starting other churches. Secondly, we need five elders and five deacons within our church structure if, if this is going to happen. We need five elders and five deacons. We sit currently with three elders and um, technically three deacons, but one of those is going to the mission field in less than a year. So moving forward, technically we sit at three elders and two deacons. And so needing to increase our leadership infrastructure for the purpose of planting churches. Third, we want to start a local ministry in this area that is reaching the needs of the less fortunate. We're going to talk more specifically about that aspect this morning. So we, we've kind of picked different aspects to talk about over the past couple of weeks. That one we're going to focus a little bit more attention on this morning. Number four, we want to plant a second Sovereign Hope Church in this area, Sov Hope 2.0. We want some, uh, some structure, some, some group of people from our church to leave the setting here in Sonoy and plant another church whether that's in Noonan, Peachtree City, Fayetteville, Griffin. The, the location will be determined by where the majority of the people are coming at that point in time when we get there. But we want to plant another church. We talked about reasons for that. It provides um, a better sense of community. There's a lot of people right now in, in our culture looking for the smaller church setting. And I told you, there's big churches that are doing things great right now in this area. Bible-believing Christian churches that are doing great things that are running a 1,000 plus. So we don't necessarily need another big church accomplishing that. The people that are looking for the big church have those options here. 
There's churches right here in Sonoy that are running two services because they're too big to fit in their building. We don't need another one of those here. What we desire to be is the small church. There's some people that prefer what we have here this morning. 40 to 50 people. They like the sense of community. They like seeing the same people every week and and being able to remember names and feeling like they belong and not feeling like just another face in the crowd. Other people prefer the big church setting. That's a preference. And, you know, the fact is that we live in a setting, we live in a culture where we can prefer types of churches and they're available to us. We want to be the small church that's growing. And we never grow beyond being a small church because we keep planting more churches. Number five, we want to plant a church overseas, Sive Hope International. We want to send a group, six to eight people from our church, to go live in another culture, to go live in another setting, to go plant a church to reach people that right now currently do not know Christ and do not have an active evangelistic effort going on in that area. That's our desire. That's our goal. That's where we want to go in the next five years. We're running 150. We're we're setting up more and more leadership within our church. We're, We're serving in our community faithfully. We've created some type of way for us to care for people. We looked at verses last week that support that, why that should be a motivation for us. The fact that we've been called to care for the less fortunate. And so we want to be actively doing that. We want that to be a, um, a proving ground for people that are going to end up going overseas to do it when we plant internationally and then also planting locally. In order to accomplish this vision, we said that there are two things have to happen. Number one, the word has to become a priority in our life. And secondly, people must become our passion. The word has to become a priority and people must become our passion. We have to be committed to growing in the Word individually, not just using Sundays as a time to grow in the Word, but intentionally pursuing Christ in our own life through the Word. Investing in in studying and knowing our Creator, not just to fill our heads, but to connect our hearts with everything that we're hearing at church, in our quiet times, that we're submitting ourselves to our King through that time in the Word and that people must become our passion. We must become serious about growing other people as well. Not just growing ourselves, but growing others, and caring about others enough to where we're serving others through our local ministry, through our accountability groups, through our small groups, that we care about the needs of others as much as we care about our own needs. Last week we talked about some obstacles. What's going to hold us back from accomplishing this? These are good things. They're, they're, They're biblically based. Uh, We know that God's in control. What are some obstacles, things that would hold us back? In regards to running 150, we said that the church in Acts, so the early churches in Acts, they were growing, they were thriving because people were faithfully teaching Jesus. Yes, there was great community. Yes, people were sharing their stuff. They were selling their possessions and giving money to each other. There was miraculous healings that were happening, but we said ultimately the the individuals that wanted to stop the Christian church from growing, they had meetings and they had discussions and they told the church, quit teaching about Jesus. We don't have them telling them to quit sharing their stuff or quit doing miracles. It was quit teaching Jesus. So the people that opposed the church's growth identified the single factor that was contributing to the growth 
It was the teaching of Jesus, and they wanted to cut that off. So if our church is going to grow, if we're going to reach that goal of being a church of 150 that can then send people out to plant churches, it necessitates all of us being faithful to teach Jesus. To teach Jesus. We said that we need to be teaching Jesus in such a way that individually we can set a goal of trying to reach two people for Christ in the next uh, five years. Two people for Christ. If every individual in our church Based on the amount of members that we have right now, if everybody reached two people in the next five years, we would be at 150 people. If you just reached one person that embraced this vision and turned around and that person reached one person, we would be at 150. It's a manageable goal. It's a manageable goal that we can shoot for as a church family. We need to be strategic, though, in in how we're going about this. And here's what I mean by that. We've had situations, and this isn't wrong and this isn't bad, but we've had situations where people have come to our church because you've invited them, but they've come from what we would call great distances to get here, right? Like people that come from far away that it's impossible for us to really invest in them and really take care of them like the church is intended to do. So we need to be strategic in that Hey, if I work a long ways away from Sonoy or from this area, I'm probably going to come in contact with people that um, are going to live too far away from, re- from really being active in our church. That doesn't mean you don't share the gospel with them. It just means when they get saved, you've got the responsibility of plugging them into a church that's close to where they live so that they have people to take care of them. It's very difficult for somebody to travel long distances and be a part of a local church and really feel connected and really be cared for by the shepherds of that church. It means that really our, our, our evangelistic efforts have to be within our communities, within our neighborhoods, within our living situations. That's why we need more and more people to move to Sonoy, to live here in Sonoy, to connect with people here in Sonoy. Um, We also need to be strategic in maybe as we come in contact with people that are looking for a church. So it's not people that need to be saved, but it's people that are disconnected from a church. We've said that, man, we would love to grow our church with people that are responding to Jesus getting saved. But we also know that we're going to grow our church with people that have already been saved that are just looking for a new church home. there's, There's churches right now that are going through transitions, and we've seen people visiting our church because of that. And we can be strategic and invite those people that are, that are in between churches. Honestly, there's a guy at, uh, at Trinity that I just recently hired that's in that situation. He was previously at a church, previously an elder candidate at that church. And now he's kind of in between, not really sure what's going to happen. We're having a conversation, and I said, hey, bro, we're looking for elder candidates at our church. Like, we, we've got big plans. We need leadership So I'm all about the Lord leading people here that are already believers that can help us accomplish these kingdom plans. We need to be intentional with how we're trying to reach people. Um, Yes, share the gospel with people that you work with that live an hour away, that live 45 minutes away, but get them plugged into a church where they live. It's very difficult to expect somebody to drive 45 minutes to our church and really be connected really get the accountability they need, really get the shepherding that they need. They need that from a local church where they live. We talked about the difficulties in raising up leadership that that Satan and his forces are going to want to ruin our current leadership. So it's necessary for you to be in prayer for me, Tyson, Adam, 
to be in prayer for your elders that we're protected, that we're guarded from the temptations that we face, that we're praying for Ben and Melissa and Chris, that they are guarded as deacons in our church from temptation so that sin doesn't ruin the mature and that it doesn't also continue to hinder the young, hold back the young, stunt the young's growth in our church. There There are believers in our church that need to grow up in the faith and become these leaders in our church. But sin, Satan would love to hold them back because of sin. So we have to pray against that and fight against that. Starting the ministry, we desire to start a local ministry here and to care for the less fortunate. I wanted to to use some time this morning to discuss some of the things that we've talked about and why we haven't moved forward on some of those things and then give you some guidance about how we as a church accomplish this, okay? So when we moved here, when we planted this church, from the very get-go, we started brainstorming and trying to, de- to develop something that could be a ministry for our church to do in this area, all right? We talked about the Anchor Down ministry, the idea of being a church that would move people in for free that were moving to this area. It would be a way for us to connect with people that don't have a church. Maybe they're not saved and they need the gospel, Maybe they are saved, but they need a new church. It would give us a way to connect with them. We, we ran into some stumbling blocks with that, though, that we, we, we had a hard time advertising it because there's sign restrictions here in Sonoy, so we couldn't just throw up signs that made people aware of it. We also ran into the difficulty that most people that are looking for help moving in are also looking for the moving trucks as well, which we don't have. So we wanted to be the people that just showed up and unloaded the trucks for you. We also talked about doing something with the nursing homes. We wanted to, to be a, a church that could be actively involved with nursing homes, meeting needs of uh, family members that were uh, unfortunately having to put family members in nursing homes. Um, there aren't any nursing homes that are really close to our base here in Sonoy, though. So it would require us to be involved in that, having to drive further than Sonoy to do that. So people in Griffin having to maybe drive to Noonan, or people in Noonan having to drive to Fayetteville to really be active in that. And in the midst of that, not really reaching Sonoy people, but reaching people from another city. And so that was kind of a hang-up as far as should we move in that direction since it would not really be reaching our area right here. Um, We also discussed working with the hospice Local hospices, kind of the same thing. We ran into, we, we couldn't find one that was close enough to our area to say, okay, let's definitely jump in here. This is a place that we can provide enough of our church family to do something with it. Yeah, we could probably get two, three, four of you to commit to that, but asking our whole church to commit to something like that, the, the distance didn't really work itself out to where it was going to be a viable option for us. We've also had conversations within our leadership structure about working with uh, funeral homes, um, helping to meet the needs of grieving families that have lost somebody close to them. Um, But again, there aren't nursing homes in Sonoy, there aren't hospices in Sonoy, there aren't funeral homes in Sonoy. And so um, we we struggled to find a, a location that really worked best for our church. Now there are some opportunities that we have been invested in. The Coweta Pregnancy Services, that's something that yes, it's in Noonan, but doesn't require our presence as much. Um, We've been able to serve through the diaper drives. We've been able to serve through um, throwing showers for individual um, uh, clients down there. Uh, And so we've been able to throw one baby shower. We've got the potential of another one coming up. 
uh, that would connect us um, with somebody that's already been going to the counseling center. Um, my sister's still working on getting details for that. Anything that we can share this morning or not yet? Okay, um, this is an individual that is 12 years old, um, that's pregnant, that is due in September, um, has, been coming to the, has been coming to the clinic, she's keeping the baby, largely because I think her parents are going to help in the process of taking care of it. Um, so, obviously, a very challenging situation that our, our church would love to come alongside and, and minister to all those involved, and, and we're going to continue to collect details on this. Um, it would be, um, it would just be extremely awesome if we could, if we could be there when the baby's born, that we could, we could be there to, to really help carry them through this from a financial standpoint, um, just with all the challenges that this, the situation's bringing to that family. So we've been active in the Coweta pregnancy, um, but our physical presence hasn't been as involved as we would like long-term with something. So we want to keep working with the Coweta Pregnancy Service, continue sending money, baby bottle uh, fundraisers, participating in the walkathon. But from a weekly standpoint, Jen's able to volunteer down there. That opportunity is available, but it's a long traveling distance for a lot of you to say, hey, I'm going to commit to counseling down there at the center. So we love what we're doing down there, but we want to do more in, in reaching people in our community, those that are less fortunate. Um, we have, have, have been involved a little bit in what's going on with the uh, Backpack Buddy ministry here in Coweta County that's housed here in Sonoy. So Vineyard Church um, helps provide food uh, for 
low-income families in the Coweta school system, and so they send home backpacks with, with food uh, during the week to these kids. Uh, they also do back-to-school type um, stuff for them as well. That's where the summer fun program comes in that we participate in the summertime. It's for those kids that are participating in the Backpack Buddy program that need food during the week, during the summers. So they're disconnected from the school system that, that, perve- that p- uh, pays for their lunch. And the Backpack Buddy group that sends food home with them at night the summer fun program brings them to the park, and we're able to feed them lunch, and then we send the leftovers home with them for dinner as well. So we've been able to participate in that, and we want to continue to maybe increase our involvement in that. And then another ministry that's recently started in this area, Project 586, it's really in the beginning stages. It's, I think they would say, very disorganized because of how quickly it's growing. But I talked with you about it a couple of weeks ago. It's basically a couple of people from Vineyard that have said, we want to help meet needs for people in our area. Um, and so through their connections, and you can follow them on Facebook, if you just want to go and check out their Facebook page to get a little bit more information about what this group is doing, they post needs constantly on Facebook. We need dryers. We need washing machines. We need this. We need that. Basically, they're trying to help people get a fresh start. And what appealed to me is that they're working with uh, – Moms and kids that are coming out of the Welcome House in Noonan, so uh, a facility that helps take care of uh, individuals that are coming from abusive situations. So moms and kids that flee a house where a man has been abusive, flees to this area, gets the help that they need, but when they're turned back out, they need initial help getting started back up. As, as the mom finds a job and a new living situation, there's things that they need, and Project 586 is working with these families to help get these uh, items to them. And they've asked us to be a part of it. Um, and I'd love to see us be a part of it. Um, so those are some things that are currently going on right now. That's an update on some of the things that we've talked about, but never really put any feet to it uh, because of some of the roadblocks that we hit. I would love to see us as a church continue to work with these ministries that are already established, but to also identify something that isn't being done right now, that we can do well as a church. Now, how do we get there? One way that we don't get there, and I don't mean to sound mean about this, I don't need you coming up with ideas and sharing them with me if you're not willing to make it happen. Okay? Like, I don't need just a smorgasbord of ideas. Hey, we could do this, or we could do this, or we could do this. If I turn around and say, yeah, we should do that, why don't you make that happen? And then you say, oh, not me. Like, I was just, I'm just the idea person. You may be just the idea person, and that's okay, but I need you to share your ideas with people in our church that could potentially be the, the implementation of your idea. As elders, we're tasked with the responsibility of leading our church in the word, praying for our church, shepherding our church, We want to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And so it can't fall on the elders to start this. It can't fall on the elders to organize and develop this local ministry that we want to start. So you may sit there and say, man, I've got a great idea, something that we could do as a church, but I can't, I'm not gifted and skilled enough to do this. Then you need to find somebody in our church that can, that is willing to do it. And and if there isn't anybody here, 
then your idea may be great, but it must not be the idea for us. So I want to challenge you, yes, be thinking, yes, be brainstorming, yes, be creative in this, but go one step further and don't just share it with me. Figure out how to make it happen. Get us to that step where some of the logistics has worked out, hey, this is an idea, and this is the people in our church that can make this happen. As far as planting other churches, we talked about the need for elders that are willing to be lead pastors. It's an area that we want to be in prayer for, but we also talked about the financial need for planting a church overseas. I told you last week, based on how frugal we're trying to be with our church budget, right now we're probably going to have $5,000 minimum left over at the end of this year that can roll somewhere. We would love to develop an account, a bank account, where we just start dumping every dime that we save into that account that would then be used to send a group of people overseas. That's one of the biggest reasons why missionaries can't go because of finances. It's what's so great about the IMB that the IMB already has the money to send people that want to go. With our church not being Southern Baptist, we don't have connections with the IMB, so we need funds if we're going to send people overseas. We can either tell people, hey, go raise it yourself, or we can, as a church, raise it for them. And I'd love to be the latter part of that. I'd love for us to save every dime we can and eliminate the financial need so that when we have six to eight people that say, I'd love to go overseas, but the finances aren't there, that we've got the finances to send them that we've got the startup money. And then moving forward, we have the monthly money to support them while they're over there. $5,000 every year would give us $25,000. That's if we just stay with the numbers that we have. But if we're increasing to 150 people over the next five years, that number continues to go up. Because catch this, our expenses don't. Our rent doesn't go up. Our um, utilities don't go up. So it's just extra money that continues to come in that gets used for church planting purposes. So it could be far in excess of $25,000 in that account by the time we're ready to send a group of people over. Finances holds people back. Um, hang on, I'll find my spot here. Leaving family and friends holds people back. That's an obstacle that we're going to have to overcome six to eight people are going to have to overcome in our church. But then also medical fears. As you know that I was in discussions with some people in our church about going overseas a couple of years ago and planning a church. And as we talked about it, one of the things that continued to come up was just the fear of what does the medical field look like in a foreign country. And, and it's a natural fear. It's an appropriate fear. If we're wanting to send young couples overseas to plan a church... The first question that a mom's going to have is, what does it look like for me to have a baby overseas? And is it safe? Can I, can I, can I trust that, that, that I'm going to be taken care of? And so I would love to see within that group that we're not only just sending six to eight, that we're sending somebody who's capable, and, and, and we are a small church that is slap full of nurses and EMTs that have studied the medical field, Right? So we're not, while, while, we're, while we're looking for deacons and elders, we, we've got a, a, a big reserve of people that know medicine and that people, people that still have five more years to increase their knowledge in the medical field. And if we could send people over and say, look, money's not an issue, and 
health isn't an issue because we're sending people that you know that you're familiar with that can help take care of you health-wise when you're over there, that could deliver a baby if necessary, then we're cutting down obstacles and we're, make, we're, we're clearing the way for the gospel to advance. We're eliminating obstacles that we can and then trusting that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gospel will advance. And we can be very proactive in these next five years to eliminate those obstacles financially and from the medical sense. I told you up front, though, today that I really wanted to focus our attention for the next couple of weeks on the component of prayer to all this. That, man, I can, I can game plan for this, and I can put all this stuff down on paper, and I can communicate it on Sundays, but this stuff doesn't happen if God's not working in us and through us to accomplish it. This stuff's too big. While I try to make it manageable for you so that you don't panic and freak out and think it's impossible, even in trying to make it manageable, this stuff doesn't happen if God's not accomplishing it through us. And he accomplishes it through us when we consistently are relying on him through prayer, petitioning him to accomplish these things through us. In looking at prayer today, before we do that, I want to give you um, two questions for you to ponder real quick, and then we're going to get some feedback from it. Two questions. Number one, if, if you could have three prayer requests answered today, guaranteed God will answer these three prayer requests, which ones would you choose? What would you choose to pray for if God would definitely answer three of your requests today? What would you choose to ask for? And then secondly, what factor in your life, what, just give me one, what one factor in your life contributes to you not praying more than you do? What is one factor that you believe keeps you from praying more than you do? So three requests that if you asked them today, God would answer. And then what's one factor that keeps you praying more than you currently do? And then we're going to look at what God's word has to say about prayer in connection with our vision here at Sovereign Hope. All right, as you look at the things that you wrote down, I'm not going to have you share them because I know that some of these may be really personal, but I want to challenge you with two thoughts about what you're looking at. Okay? First thought is, how many of them are not directly tied to you? So, so how many of them really have nothing to do with you, if any of them? Or are they all directly tied to you and, and your needs? How many of them are not tied to you? I mean, they're, they're, they're strictly about somebody else. And then secondly, if the criteria was they'll be answered, but only if you prayed for them this week, previously, like you had to have prayed for them the past week, how many of them would be answered? Because we could sit here and say, well, I would pray for this. I just haven't in a long time, but if, if, I, if I knew I could get an answer today, this is what I would pray for. It, it's a good assessment to see where we're at in both our perspective about what we're praying for and our consistency. You may be looking at these three things, and they may be extremely important, and they may be completely outside of you and your context, but you haven't asked God for it at all this week. I just want to kind of challenge you with that as we, as we direct our focus and attention to prayer over the next couple of weeks. Are you praying for things outside of just you and your needs? And how consistently are you praying for those needs? Okay? Um, 
Factors for why we don't factors for why we don't pray more. Let's let's share some of these. What what are some things that you feel like if this factor was eliminated, I'd, I would pray more? What are some thoughts on that? Things that are maybe holding you back from praying more in your life. Any thoughts on that? Or is everybody just praying? Everybody's content with how much they're praying. I'm the only one that's not. <laughs> Do what? Lazy, okay. Forgetfulness. Not scheduling it. Sin. Other factors that keep us from praying more than we do. A fear to do so, okay. Yep. And nobody's yet said time, but that's that's typically the first answer is that if I had more time, I would pray. Right, we're all busy. Everybody's busy here. All right, I want to share with you this morning three three mindsets that keep us from praying more than we do. I can't remember if I included this in your notes or not. Three mindsets that keep us praying, keep us from praying more than we do. Number one, we don't believe things will happen if we pray. We don't believe things will happen if we pray. So we, we've, we've grown callous to the idea of prayer because we've prayed for things in the past and they haven't been answered the way that we wanted them to be. And so we aren't driven to pray regularly because we've seen it fail us time and time again in the past. Number two, we believe things will happen even if we don't pray. So we err on the side of sovereignty and we say, well, God's going to do what he wants to do. I don't have to pray for it. I mean, he's the one that's in control. He's sovereign. He's ordained things to happen. So me praying or not praying doesn't change anything. So I'm just going to let God do what he wants to do. I've got too many other things in my schedule to be praying for things that will or won't happen regardless if I pray or not. And then number three, we aren't concerned about seeing things happen until it directly affects us. We aren't concerned about seeing things happen until it directly affects us. So we either don't pray because we don't believe something's going to happen, or we believe things will happen whether we pray or don't pray, or we aren't concerned about things happening until it directly affects us. And that's, that's where a lot of us get to. We, we're, we're driven to pray when crises arise, right? When, when people are sick or when there's a financial need. Those are times that we're driven to prayer. But a lot of times when things are going fine, we're just not prone to pray because nothing's directly interfering with our circumstances or our needs. And yes, there's other needs out there, but... I've got a busy schedule, and it doesn't directly affect me. So we're probably not praying as much as we should because we either believe things don't happen or we believe everything is going to happen regardless, or we're just not concerned about things happening until it directly affects us. In John 15, 5, Jesus reminds his disciples, and, and hopefully this morning reminds us as a church, that we cannot accomplish anything and things will not get done without us fully relying on Jesus through prayer to do those things. 
In John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The, the little times that we stop and pray throughout the day may seem at times monotonous or may seem uh, unnecessary. People that pray over meals, people that pray before going on trips, people that pray before ball games. But those little times of prayer are a good refocusing time to remind us that the things that I'm doing right now only happen or only can be accomplished through Jesus. Stopping and praying over a meal and, and, and praising God and thanking God for the finances or for the provision of food is a reminder that without him, we don't have it. And it's a good time throughout the day to just refocus our perspective so that we don't forget that truth that without him, we can do nothing. Augustine says, God could have bestowed these things on us even without our prayers. So, God is fully capable of doing things whether we pray for him or not. I mean, he's completely in control. God could have bestowed these things on us even without our prayers. But he wished that by our prayers we should be taught from where these benefits come. So prayer is a tool to remind us of our dependence upon God. God doesn't need our prayers to do things. He chooses to do things in response to our prayers so that it's a constant tool to remind us where that provision comes from. He could heal the sick. He can provide your food. He can provide jobs. He can do all the things that we tend to pray for a lot without our prayers. But he chooses to do them through answering our prayers so that we're constantly reminded that without Jesus, we can do nothing. I want to give you four facts to remember about prayer this morning from God's Word. And I want these facts to drive us to praying for what God wants to do here at our church. Fact number one, prayer is a means for us to ask God for good things. Prayer is a means for us to ask God for good things, specifically the good that he desires to give us. In Psalm 84, 11, The psalmist says, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Romans 8, 28 through 29 And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. When you go to God and pray, in your mind, you are praying for good things, right? Like none of us pray for bad things to happen to us. None of us hopefully pray for bad things to happen to other people. We may want at times selfishly and sinfully for bad things to happen to other people, but I don't know that any of us have ever actually sat down and prayed to our creator that something bad would happen to somebody else. We pray for good things. That lines up with what scripture tells us, that God desires to give us good things. 
So there's comfort and confidence when we pray that we're praying for good things and we serve a creator that wants to give us good things. But it's also a reminder that when our prayers aren't answered the way that we want them to be, to be answered, it's not that God isn't good. It must be that whatever we were praying for either isn't good for us or there's something better that we haven't realized that God wants to give to us that he could not give to us if he answered that prayer. So we should never doubt God's goodness because prayers aren't being answered because we know from Scripture he's obligated himself to be good to his children. So if he's not answering the prayer the way that we desire, it's either because it's not a good thing for us or he's got something better he intends to give to us that we're not even asking for yet. We pray to a good God. Secondly, prayer is not a means for us to inform God of what's going on. Prayer is not a means for us to inform God of what is going on. Matthew 6, 7, and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Here we have a promise that we don't need magical words or phrases to inform God about situations. That God is already aware of what our needs are. As we pray for elders and deacons in our church, God's already aware of what we need. God is already aware of who he's going to send to meet those needs. We don't inform God with our prayers. That's, that's, that should be a, an encouragement in praying that we don't have to worry really about the words that are even being used. We don't have to worry if we're explaining it clearly enough so that God gets it and understands it. He's already aware of the needs before we go to him, but there's more to it than that. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. See, it'd be one thing if God just knew our needs but didn't care about them. But we have the further assurance in Scripture that not only does he know our needs, he cares about them. He cares about them. So when, when Adam and Tiffany were, were going through the time in their life where Adam was looking for a job, God knew about the need before Adam lost his previous job. So when Tiffany offers up the first prayer for her husband to have provision made in his life for a job, God was already aware of it and already cared more about it than anybody in Tiffany's family or anybody in this church family could have cared about it. He knows it prior to us knowing about it, and he cares more about it than we could care about it. And then in Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. He knows about them, he cares about them, and he's capable of providing for them and promises that he will. Promises that he will. In Matthew chapter 10, just to give you further perspective about how aware he is 
Matthew 10, 29 through 31. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Have you ever been like just really busy and really trying to accomplish things, and you certainly don't have time for one more thing to be added on to it? This week, like I was slammed with scheduling stuff. I've got like multiple computers, papers all over my desk, and I'm having a conversation with Ryan Tipton, and he's saying, you know what would be a great study for us to start is where the Methodist church deviated from the theology of John Wesley. And I'm thinking, yeah, like I'm going to get right on that right now in the midst of everything else that I'm doing. He's like, you, you want to have a conversation about that? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't, I, don't have, I don't have possibly any more time in my schedule for something that seems so unnecessary at this point in time in history. God, on the other hand, communicate, Jesus communicates, he says, he knows your needs to the point that he knows unnecessary things. He's got so much omniscience, so much all-knowingness about him. There's things that we would say, it doesn't matter how many hairs on my head I have. I need God to know my financial bank account situation. Jesus says God knows everything to the point that he knows facts that we would say, and that's pointless, that's not needed. That's the type of God that we're praying to, a God that knows our needs, cares about our needs, and is fully capable of meeting our needs. That's for you individually, and that's for us as a church. He knows what we need better than we do if we're going to advance the kingdom. Now, we're doing our best to put on paper what we think we need. But God may have better plans in store for us than even what we've been able to devise over the past couple of weeks. He may have bigger things in store for us than we've even imagined. But he knows our needs, he cares about them, and he's fully capable of meeting them. And that should drive us to prayer should drive us to prayer because we serve a God who's good and who meets our needs, which again goes back to if we're praying prayers that aren't being answered the way that we want to, it's either not good for us or it's not a need because he's obligated himself to provide for our needs. He's obligated himself to do good things to us. And so if he's, if he's not doing it how we think he should, it calls for a perspective adjustment for us. Must not be good, must not be a need. Number three, prayer is a means for us to make things happen. Prayer is a means for us to make things happen. Now, we, we've talked before about the, the tension that exists in Scripture between God's sovereignty, man's responsibility, Throw one up for the man's responsibility, people, this morning. Because the Bible is very clear that God responds and does things when we pray. God responds to our prayers in Luke chapter 11, verses 9 and 10. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. In Luke 18. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. That right there should cause us to pause for a second. That, that Luke, in writing, 
preps us. Here's why, God t- here's why Jesus told this parable. He told this parable so that people would not lose heart in their prayers. What causes us to lose heart in our prayers? The fact that we feel like nobody's listening, right? The fact that we continue to pray and we don't see anything happening. Luke says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Don't be discouraged in your prayer life. Don't be discouraged if you don't see things happening in the timing that you want to see them happen. Jesus anticipates that we'll struggle with that, and so he tells them this parable. He said in verse 2, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. So you've got a crummy judge who who has no fear for God and doesn't even respect man. So he's like the last kind of person you want in this position of authority, but he's in it. And there's a widow, someone who who has obviously in a situation that's, that's not ideal, has challenges there. Give me justice against my adversary. Verse four, for a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? It's a lesser to greater argument. He's saying if you've got a crummy judge that continues to have somebody appeal to him, eventually he'll wear down and give it to the person. Worst situation, somebody who's no good in the position, uh, a person who desperately needs him, continues to petition him over and over, finally he gives in. He says if, if that happens, how much more so will it happen when you have a good God who loves justice, Will he not respond to his children that continue to petition him? But he encourages them. He says, don't don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart in your prayers. Don't stop praying. Continue to come to the one who can be the provider. In James 4, 2 through 3, You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. God responds to our prayers. And Lord willing, in the coming weeks, we're going to look at specific prayers in Scripture that changed the course of history, that God answered these prayers, and it changed where history was going from man's perspective. The way that God has ordained and the way that God has controlled things is that he answers our prayers as he always planned to do. So it's not that we change God's plans with our prayers. It's that we make the things that God always intended to happen, happen through our prayers. So wrap your minds around this. God, let's, let's say that, that we're right and that God does desire to plant churches out of our church. He's always planned to do that. And he will do that moving forward as an answer to our prayer. And so he accomplishes what he wants to, what he always intended to do, 
but he does it through the avenue of answering prayers so that we have to rely on him to do it. So it's not that we can just sit back and say, oh, if God wants a church overseas through Sob Hope, it'll happen. If God wants to plant another church in this area, it'll happen. If God wants 150 people to get saved from our church, it'll happen without us being involved. And that's not the case. We pray for those things to happen. God accomplishes those things as answers to our prayer as he always intended for it to be. He intended to accomplish everything that he will accomplish by answering the prayers of his people. It's a mean for us to make things happen just as God intended for it to be. And in fact, number four, prayer is not a means for us to get anything we want. So God's not a genie that we can just pray for things that we want and he's obligated to answer them. If it's not good for us and it's not something that we need, odds are he's not going to give it to us. So it's not a means for us to ask for whatever we want. But it is a means for us to get more than we think. That's where I want to challenge you with this morning. Prayer is not for us to ask for everything that we want. It's not a means for us to get anything that we want. But it is a means for us to get more than we think. Ephesians 3. Twenty and twenty-one. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God gives us good things. He gives us what we need. And he is capable of giving us more, infinitely more than we could ever ask or think. See, I think when we start to pray for these things for our church, that God's going to do far more than what we're asking. And I think we need to pray for far more than what we're asking too. I think as we really get involved in this and we really embrace this as a church and we really start to put feet to this and really start to make effort to this, teaching Jesus, embracing responsibility to serve and to step up our service as needed in our church, that God's capable of doing far more than we could ever ask or think. See, we may look at the landscape here and say, there's not a lead pastor here right now. We're going to have to pray that God will send us one. And God's saying, no, there's one already right there. The one that's going to pastor the church overseas is already in your congregation. I'm going to do more than what you're thinking. You're praying expectantly that somebody's going to come in and transfer their membership here. But I've already got the one in place. He's already a member of Sovereign Hope, and he's going to be raised up to do it. He does far more than we ask or think. And I want to challenge you just from an individual standpoint. And this, you know, I was going back through all my prayer notes um, when I taught Winter Retreat 2011. So much of that stuff that I studied, I forgot. So those of you that were there probably remember even less. But one thing that, that, that I remembered, that I continue to remember, um, is I challenged us, I challenged us as a group that we need to step up our prayer life to where we are asking for things and praying for things that when they happen, we can't help but go back to God and thank him for it because he's the only explanation for why that happened. See, I'm far too guilty for praying for things that I already anticipate happening. Like, if I, if I were to pray, hey, 
you know, my family's going to Florida. Hey, God, give us uh, a good trip down. Give us safety. Let the car run perfectly. We get to the condo and we're, you know, we're in the condo. We're changing, getting down to the beach. Like, we're not saying, wow, we made it. Like, there was safety. The car didn't mess up, right? Like, we're just like, ho-hum, like, I prayed for it. But I could probably not have prayed for that and it would have happened. I'm guilty a lot of times of praying for things that when they happen, don't wow me. And, and, and what Paul says in Ephesians is he's capable of doing far more than you ask or think. And I want to re-challenge those of you that were at the retreat and challenge everybody that wasn't there for the first time to examine your prayer life and making sure that you're praying for things that will wow you when God does do them. Not just praying that God would let you lead one person to Christ over the next five years. For some of us, that still would be a wow factor. But praying for things that necessitate supernatural activity happening in your life if it's going to be accomplished. And not just praying for the ho-hum stuff. Give us a good night's rest tonight. Let us serve you faithfully tomorrow. Things that you can't trace back and say, man, he's been faithful in my life. Man, he answers prayer in my life. We pray for things that we expect to happen, but we're praying for it because we know we're supposed to pray. And I'm confessing, I'm guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I incorporate those things into my prayer life, and I, and I leave out a lot of things that should be there because I fall into the category either of, I don't think it will happen, or it'll happen whether I pray for it or not. I want our church to be the type of people that are praying Praying so diligently for this kingdom to advance. Praying for our church to grow. Praying for the raising up of leadership. Praying for uh, people in our church to feel called to plant other churches. I want Satan who wants to hinder, who wants to hinder these plans to be in fear of our prayers. Because he sees a church that's not just trying to accomplish it in his own strength but is seeking to accomplish it through the power of prayer. Mary, Queen of Scots, said, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of England. John Knox had a reputation of, of being one who petitioned God regularly, and he was one that got his prayers answered. He was faithfully going to his Creator to provide. Paul Miller says, if God is sovereign, then he is in control of all the details of my life. If he's loving, then he's going to be shaping the details of my life for my good. If he is all wise, then he is not going to do everything I want because I don't know what I need. That's encouraging. God's completely in control. He's loving and he's going to shape everything in our life for good. Because he's all wise, he's not going to do everything that we ask because he knows better what we need than we do. And I love the last part of his quote. If he's patient, then he's going to take time to do all of it. We serve a patient God who's not in a hurry to do things. And so if he's a patient God, we can trust that he's going to do things at times slowly in our life. That he's going to work that clay. That he's going to mold us. And it takes time. And so we live in a culture that, that wants things done immediately. We, we expect things to be done immediately. We're, we're not prone to be patient in our schedule. And so when we come up against a God who is moving slowly in our minds, it causes frustration. It causes callousness at times towards prayer. 
And it's a reminder, we serve a patient God who works patiently in us. All right, six things that I want you to pray for when we're done. Six things that I want to direct you in your prayers to direct our our group that's praying on Sunday mornings before church what to be praying for, how we pray as a church together moving forward in seeking to to accomplish these goals that we have, these things that we believe are lined up and consistent with God's word. Going back to Romans 1, ultimately, we want 150 people. We want churches planted. We want elders and deacons. We want those things for God's glory, for his name to be made great. God's name through sovereign hope doesn't become great if we just sit here status quo for the next five years and nobody hears Jesus from us and nobody serves differently than they're currently serving. We don't advance God's name by just sitting here and listening to more sermons and more sermons and more sermons. We desire to do these things because we want God's name to be made great. We want to submit our church to being used as a tool by him to make his name great. So praying for this plan, how should we focus our desires to reflect his? You'll remember in Romans 15, 30, Paul laid out all his plans for church planting, all the things that he desires to do. And it comes back to the point of prayer. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf. If you read the account in Acts, you'll find out that all of Paul's prayer, all of Paul's plans did not happen. They were good plans. They were things that he put down on paper, and they don't all happen the way that Paul said they would or wanted them to. And so, as much as I want these things to happen, they may not all happen the way that I want them to. They may not all happen the way our church wants them to. We can trust that a good God knows the needs and will meet those needs faithfully. Six things for you to specifically be praying for. And this is for you and for the people in our church. I'm going to give you to them, I'm going to give them to you in six memorable ways and then explain to you what I mean. Number one is read the Bible. I'm going to give you six things that you can memorize. This is what I need to be praying for. Praying that people in our church will read the Bible. Pray that people in our church will prioritize the word in their schedule. Look, we can't expect God to send people to our church that need to be discipled if we're not ready to disciple people. And you are not ready to disciple people if you're not prioritizing being in the Bible during the week. If we're full of a, of a if our church is full of people who don't have time to be in the Bible, then why would we expect God to send us people that need to be discipled? So if I'm leading somebody to Jesus, they need to be grown up in the faith. They need to be uh, taught everything that Jesus commanded them to do. And until we embrace the responsibility to be in the word as mature Christians, we can't expect God to send us people that need to be taken care of if we're not taking care of ourselves. Pray that people in our church will read the Bible. Secondly, pray that people in our church will fight sin. Pray that people in our church will yield to righteousness rather than to sin. I need you to know that there are people in our church that are in danger of having sin find victory over them. And you need to labor, even though you may not know names, labor over the fact that we're not not where we need to be from a righteousness and sin standpoint. I know that personally because of accountability groups. 
and things that are being shared in accountability groups. And we are so far from being able to plant churches because we're still dealing with sin in our own midst. And it's not the, I will continue to struggle with sin until Jesus comes back. It's, I'm still yielding myself to the enemy for sinful purposes. And you can't be utilized in the kingdom for his purposes until that stuff stops. And I need you laboring, as Paul says, labor with me for people in our church that you may not know names about, but know that people in our church need to find victory over sin if we're going to advance the kingdom together. We've got to read the Bible. We've got to fight sin. Number three, teach Jesus. Pray that people in our church will be bold to proclaim the gospel with our neighborhoods, our workplace, our family, and our hobbies. Remember we talked in the book of Jonah about our four contact areas. You know people that live near you. You know people that work with you. You know people that you were growing up with, your family. And you know people that you do hobbies with. How are you intentionally trying to share the gospel in all four of those areas? We need to pray that people in our church will teach Jesus boldly, proclaim it. Our church doesn't grow. Our church doesn't send people to plant churches if we're not teaching Jesus. Number four, care for others. Pray that people in our church will care about the needs of others as much as their own needs. When we care about others as much as we care about ourselves, it causes us to shape our schedule where we can make accountability groups. We can be a part of a local ministry where we're serving people that have needs. When we, when we move to a point where we care about others at least as much as we care about ourselves, then our church can start to thrive and move in this direction. Read the Bible, fight sin, teach Jesus, care for others. Number five, make money. That's right. Not because we need it, we don't. I told you, I told you before, we have structured our church where we never need a dime of your money to pay for anything here. The leadership of our church and, and, and knowing what we give to this church, the bills are paid for. Bills are paid for. I need you to pray that people in our church will make money because we need resources if we're going to send people overseas to plant a church. Me and Ben were talking about this. We need to pray that people in our churches get raises. That they keep moving up the ladder at their employment and make more money so that more money can be given for the gospel. And we need to be protected from the fact that we're going to continue to make money and, and, and the tendency is going to be, well, that increases the house I can live in, it increases the toys that I can play with. We're not praying for that kind of money. We're praying that people in our church will make money so that we can give more. Because six to eight people overseas being, being what I would love to see completely funded by our church and not having to outsource it to other people, it's possible because I serve a God in Ephesians 3 that can do far more than we ask or think. I would love for six to eight people to not have to think and worry, what if I lose a supporter? Like, what if my family member, who's a big chunk of my monthly support, backs out? They don't have to worry about it because our church is taking care of it. Because we prayed for it and God blessed us financially, which has nothing to do with the prosperity gospel that we're praying for financial blessing so that we can give it away. 
for these six to eight people that are going to need it to go overseas. Number six, desire to lead. Pray that individuals will be called out from our church as lead pastors, lay elders, and deacons. I structured it this way because I wanted tangible things. I didn't want... I didn't want things that we we could pray for that wouldn't be evident when they're happening, right? So there, there's things that need to be prayed for for this to happen. We need, we all need to be unified around this, right? Like we all need to be embracing this as our vision, not just my vision for our church. But I wanted tangible things that we can praise God for as they're being answered, as assurance that hey, we are moving in the right direction. Hearing about people that are thriving in their time in the Word when previously they were struggling to be in the Word at all. Hearing victory from people that are, that are killing sin in their life. People that are proclaiming on Sunday mornings during some of our share time how they're boldly proclaiming Jesus and being able to see people come to this church because they've responded to that bold proclamation. I would love to hear people praising God on a Sunday morning because of a raise that they've had at their, at their, at their employment and how that's going to directly affect our goal of planting a church overseas. I want your mindset to be that when you start seeing raises happen at your employment, that they're there for a reason because people in your church are praying for it and you're now obligated to be smart with it, to not squander it and not use it selfishly. But that's an answer to, to, to my prayer in your life. And, and, and it's an answer to six to eight people that are going to need it when they go overseas. And a desire to lead, I, I, I'm anticipating what it's going to look like as God impresses upon people's hearts to step up and, and function as elders and deacons in our church and as God calls them out to function in that capacity. So, Taking what we've, what we've seen from God's word and prayer this morning, that God is a good God that meets our needs, that knows our needs better than we do. We are, as best that we know how, coming to him humbly to ask what we think are good things and needful things. All the while knowing that he may have better plans and better uh, understanding of our needs than we do. And so being flexible enough to change what we're, what we're hoping happens here in five years. But as best we know how from what Scripture has communicated to us about God's desires for people to be saved, for churches to be planted, for people to be utilized in leadership within the church, I think we can pray confidently that these things happen in our church. And we can pray trusting that it's a God who can make these things happen. I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to let you share any thoughts, questions that you might have as we continue to try to unify around uh, this vision together. Father, I pray that we would be encouraged this morning uh, to continue to strive uh, in our own prayer lives as individuals, that uh, you would use the assurance that, that we've seen from Scripture that you're a good God, that you're a God who is informed, uh, who, who doesn't need us to spend a lot of time explaining things, that you know, you know our needs, you know our circumstances, you know our hearts better than we do that we can approach you with what we believe to be our needs and, and trust that even in praying for things that we can't make a mistake because you're overseeing the whole process and you're going to give us what we need, even if we don't know what we need. So God, I pray that you would challenge us in our prayer life to, uh, to not grow weary, 
to not lose heart. To instead trust in what we know about you. And God, I pray that we would use prayer as a growing tool for ourselves. Realizing that you don't need us to pray to do things. God, help us to see that prayer changes us. Causes us to rely on you more. Causes you to get the glory for this. Father, my desire is that when these things start to happen, that the wow factor sets in for us as a church and it leads us to worship and proclaim your name in in new ways as we see you answer these prayers. God, we know that you're a God who can do things infinitely greater than what we ask or think. Father, I'm praying that people in our church would prioritize the Bible. They would grow individually so that they can faithfully grow others. They would fight sin in their life. They would quit yielding to it. They would reckon things to be true about them that Scripture says to be true about them. They would trust the truth that they know about about you, about what you've said about them. They would consider themselves dead to sin and alive to righteousness. Father, I pray that our church would be bold to teach Jesus. It would be intentional that the enemy would try to stop that component of our church. Father, I pray that as our people work hard and are faithful to to care for their own needs, God, I pray that you would increase a desire in us to care for others. That through our time and our resources, we would be willing to give so that others' needs can be met. God, give us a sensitivity. Give us a, a vision for how we can reach people in this area with something that's currently not being done for them. God, through that ministry, we pray that people would come to know Jesus. God, I pray that as we work hard in our job places, that you would would bless us financially, that you would increase the amount of money that people in our church are making so that it can be invested in your kingdom. God, I pray that you would protect us from the love of money Give us an overwhelming sense of contentment and thankfulness for how you provide for our needs. And God, I pray that you would increase our resources so that we can give to this gospel cause. So that we can confidently send people overseas to proclaim your name. And God, I pray that you would raise up people in our church that can lead, that can lead these endeavors lead pastors, lay elders, deacons. Father, people that will embrace this responsibility and own it and help our current leadership lead everybody into seeing these things happen. And Father, we, we confess that, that you have better plans than we do, that you know our needs and, and um, you know what's good for us better than we do. So Father, give us the flexibility to uh, adjust our expectations to adjust uh, these plans. But Father, I pray that those adjustments would not be because we doubt that you can do this. God, we believe that you can accomplish this through us. And we desire for that so that your name can be made great. We're asking you to accomplish these things. 
We ask this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.